Would you take your Bibles, please, and would you turn to, whoops, sorry about that. Would you turn to Genesis 16, Genesis 16. We're in our fact or fiction series. Remember, this is an apologetic series, and you're going to see that more and more in this sense. If I spent how I would generally exegete a text and go verse by verse slowly, we would be here for many weeks, at least a month, maybe six weeks. So what I'm going to do is a more general flyover, and this is the way I'll do that. In my office, as I'm coming to a text, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm reading the Hebrew, I'm going back and fleshing out the text, and then I'm asking God to give me some sort of major truths that will emerge. What's the big picture? Let's not miss the forest for the trees. Lord, what are you trying to say to me and to our people for such a time as this? And then I'll write that down and then I'll begin to tweak that. After all of that skeleton is complete and I've got the direction, then I'm going to go do the research and read what others have written, other books and things like that. But I really want to nail down What are these major concepts? And so I really think today is super important. It's a miracle, I think, that we started this in January of 22, then broke for some of Hebrews, came back in January 23, and on this exact day, Memorial Day, I'll give you this particular message. That is shocking to me, and I know, I hope the folks out there that are traveling, I know some have already written me that they're tuned in. Thank you wherever you are. Thank you for being a part of this. I know it's a heavy travel season, and I don't begrudge that at all. I I will have vacation with my family as well, so I understand that, and I don't have a problem with that, but try to encourage people that missed this week to catch up, because listen to me very carefully. Some men and women that paid the ultimate price and gave their lives for our nation did so because of events that started in this text. They lost their lives defending freedom from those who have a radically different ideology based out of what we read today. What we study from many, many thousands of years ago, the ripples and repercussions have impact Today, somebody will die in the world today because of what I'm talking about. That is just the reality of how significant this text is. Last week, we said God's promises are greater than our problems. And when we were looking at the Abram story, we said fear makes you question how God's promises can possibly come to pass. In fact, fear moves Sarah and then Abram to do something foolish today. They did something foolish and the repercussions we experienced. But faith moves you down a path of righteousness and prepares you to receive God's blessings. I really think it's why we're seeing God work in absolutely miraculous ways in this church. So many salvations and baptisms and new members and amazing things. I mean, burning the note, nearly burning the church down last week, but burning the note and having freedom from debt and freedom in Christ and freedom from sin and Satan. And so then we said the future for people of faith may have great challenges, and I believe it will, as we tend to stray further and further away from our Judeo-Christian foundations, God's hand comes further and further away from blessing our land. See, God made a promise through Abram that if you will do what I've called you to do, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. I believe God's hand has been very much like that upon this land. However, 
we're not always walking in the truth. And what you're going to hear today, I promise you, is not a popular thing. And there are a lot of pastors, even some guys that I know, that will shy away from this narrative because they're fearful of repercussion. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting security. I'm trusting that you need to know the truth. And there's nothing wrong with loving your enemy and keeping your gun well-oiled, okay? I'm just telling you right now. Um, in fact, Billy Graham's grandson was in seminary with me, William Franklin Graham IV, and uh, Will, as we called him, Will had that sign on the very front of his pickup truck, love your enemies, but keep your gun well-oiled. I said, that's my kind of guy right there. Um, the reality is, it's going to be hard for some of you, so let me start with a little bit of levity. I'm going to name this message, here's your sign. Now, how many of you have heard the phrase, here's your sign? I learned something about our worship pastor, Jeff Davis, between services that I did not know. Jeff Davis, I knew he had had a brief career in comedy, but Jeff Davis actually opened for Bill Ingvall years ago in the 80s. So if you've ever seen Bill Ingvall, he's my man, blue-collar comedy tour. I very much like that he and Foxworthy, not all the guys on the comedy tour, but those two at least try to keep it family-friendly. He's on Laugh USA a lot, which is a family-friendly comedy channel, and he really tries to keep his material clean. Well, for Jeff Foxworthy, his big tag, of course, is you might be a redneck if. Well, I've checked all those boxes, so I'm good with that. But Bill Ingvall came up with his own tag many years ago called Here's Your Sign. And according to his own words, he said, I just can't take, now he said, stupid people. I don't, we don't use that word in our family. We'll say not too bright. So he said, I just can't take people that are not too bright. And, and Ingvall said, they should have to wear signs that say, I'm not too bright. And that way, he said, you won't rely on them. You won't ask them anything. They just have a sign and you just know to walk on, right? Pretty smart. So if you've never heard these, probably you have, but he, he, he had a few I picked out. He said, I was flying out to do a show, called my wife on the cell phone, said, baby, you're not going to believe this. I go, we just hit a deer with the airplane. There was silence on the other end of the line. She said, oh my word, were you still on the ground? He said, nope. Santa was making one last run. Here's your sign. Then he said, I shot me a nice deer, hung it on the living room wall in my house. My neighbor comes over and he says, hey man, did you shoot that thing? He said, nope, just ran through the wall and stuck there. So we left him. Here's your sign. I'm out in the public. I'm using a pay phone. I'm in the phone booth. Y'all explain that to the younger ones later, okay? I'm in a phone booth. I got the phone in my hand and the guy taps on the glass. He says, hey buddy, you using the phone? I looked at him, I looked at the phone, I said, nope, I'm Superman, just looking for my costume. Here's your sign. You know, we have a lot of here's your signs. Yesterday, I had to go to the store to buy something. I had a here's your sign moment. I'm going to wait till next week to share that with you. In fact, if I don't write it in my notes, I'm going to forget it. So I'm going to actually type right here, Harley store. It happened in a Harley store. I know you would think everyone's a genius that goes in to buy stuff at the Harley store, but I'm going to put that in my notes for next week. It'll be right there. If I forget it, somebody yell out, Harley store, here's your sign. Okay, so let's talk about this for a minute. Here's your sign is a funny way of saying, 
you're special. In Christian circles, we'd say, well, bless their heart, right? But the reality is God's word is full of signs that say you really are special. And not in any derogatory sense. You are special. And there are signs that really matter. There are signs that have to do with our name. There are signs that have to do with our actions and responses to God's word. There are signs everywhere. And next week, particularly, because those of you that love notes, I'm sorry, you're not going to get them all filled in. I knew going in it was a two-part. I'll need to stop where I did last week to align the services. But I can tell you that we're not going to get as far as I wanted, but we'll, we'll dig through one mostly and then just introduce two. But next week, I'm going to really explain to you why are we so different in some of our action from our brothers like Catholics or Lutherans, many Presbyterians, many Methodists, particularly those traditions that baptize babies. Why do they do it that way? Some of you were sprinkled or poured over as a baby. Why do they do it that way? What is the theology that drives it? Because it actually emerges in the text that we see this week and next week. And so we're going to look at those differences, not to say we're different, but to see where does this come from and why do we do it the way we do? Why is Baptist on the sign? Why do we actually put these kids up here, and I love that little fellow too, they were both precious, but just such a joy. Why do we fill up a pool and heat it, most of the time it's heated, why do we do that, and why do we take people all the way down and up, and why is that different from what we're going to read about in the signs we're given in this text? And so I want you to see how significant these chapters of Scripture are as we do this apologetic flyover. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Now, I'm going to skip. I'm not going to read every word of both chapters, <clears throat> but I'm going to give you the meat that we'll be unpacking and eating on for the next two weeks. So verse uh, 1 out of chapter 16, and I'll read down several of those, and I'll tell you where we'll skip. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my maid, or go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Now this is where we, we see they get off track. Abram heeded the voice of Sarah, and Sarah's voice was not in alignment with God's voice. Normally, fellas, I'd say, listen to your wife. Normally, wives, I'd say, listen to your husband, but not if they're not in alignment with God's word. Don't heed if they're not in alignment, and she's not, but Abram heeded. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. They had probably picked her up as a servant when they went down for the famine in Egypt. You remember that. They were down there, probably got her as a slave girl, brought her up. She's like a head servant in the home. And so... Abram uh, had already been dwelling 10 years by now in the land of Canaan, which makes him 85 years old, and that makes Sarah six, uh, 75 years old. And so he went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. That means Hagar really has a hatred now for Sarah. Well, Sarah, unfortunately, is going to do the same thing. We'll come back to that. Skip to 11 and 12. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, to Hagar, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. We're going to continue to move forward. We're going to skip to 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So she's pregnant at 85. He's 86. He has the child. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, fast forward, 13 years, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Remember, God already cut the covenant in chapter 15, but Abram and Sarah got ahead of the Lord. But God is reminding them, and Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father to many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and make nations of you. Now watch. And kings, sure enough, all the way to King Jesus, kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant forever and ever to be God to you and your descendants after you. Let's skip to nine. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Here it is, the sign. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it'll be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, parents, next week, I am gonna talk about that in some level of depth. We will not get graphic, there's no imagery, but if you have very young children that you like to have in the service, this is your warning, this is your disclaimer. We do have to talk about this. We do have to unpack the why behind it and sort of the, a little bit of process. And so just so that you know, either you can talk to your children beforehand or you can simply bring them and let, you ask, let them ask you questions after the service. Fine with me. But I do need to unpack that a little bit more, okay? So let's skip to 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah, same pronunciation, different spelling, the I becomes an H, and Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son, watch, by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, watch, kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abram fell on his, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? See, he knew that by the time she got pregnant and they had the kid, he's a hundred. And shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, or 90 years old, 10 years he's younger, bear a child? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so very much to unpack here. And I know, Lord, even in my own study, we can sort of just scratch the surface. But would you please help us to see Please help us to see how significant the unfolding events before us really are. They still impact the world scene right here in 2023. And they will impact this world until the day the Prince of Peace sets it all right. I think it's very telling that sometimes we think there can be world peace without you in the center 
But the only hope for humanity is the one true and living God and his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for speaking. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hands and feet to take your truth as we go. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, so let's get point one on the table. And let me spend, again, the bulk of the time we'll be walking through that because I don't have a lot of time. World history has been impacted radically by the events that unfold here. World history. Um, Let me give you, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit more than I did last hour to make sure I can finish to where I want to finish. There is a popular theory common among Muslims and Christians that Arabian Muslims are direct descendants of Ishmael. Arabian Peninsula is an important area. If you're not familiar with it, Google it, look it up on a map. The Arabian Peninsula contains much of what we now call the Middle East. Now, I'm going to paint with broad strokes of the brush. Do not write me and say, yes, but there's this nuance about the Arabs and this new one. I know. I studied it. Hours, countless, over and over. I barely had time with family to study for this. The point is, I realize I'm going to paint with a broad brush. I'm not going to get deep into the political weeds, but I have to walk through it because you need to understand what's going on. Muhammad was a major proponent of the idea claiming to be a direct descendant of Ishmael according to the Quran. So we have to understand Islam. We have to understand Muslim thinking a little bit and Arabic thinking. Not all Arabs are Muslim. Not all Muslims are Arab, but many in the Arabian Peninsula, the vast, vast majority follow in the line of Muhammad, in the line of thinking. And according to missionary and author Kenneth Fleming, what we know for certain seems to support the theory that Ishmaelites are at the very least a major element in the uh, um, Arabic genetic line. Ancient records clearly link North Arabians with Ishmael's descendants. So if you were thinking about areas, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, etc., this is the part of the world we're talking about. This is where, this was, uh, Arab means nomad, a, a wandering people. This is where the desert people, sometimes we would use words like Bedouin, they're all nuanced. There's all different meanings, but understand with a broad brush, I'm trying to say that not, uh, though many uh, Arabians may be be able to trace their lineage back to Ishmael, Ishmael, not all descendants of Ishmael are Arabian or are Muslim. But if you meet a Muslim today that is a practicing Muslim, practicing Muslim, the argument will be if they follow the Quran to the letter, the argument will be that their people came from Ishmael and Ishmael is actually, they would say, Allah's child of promise. They're going to argue that it went God, Abraham, Ishmael, the 12 sons of Ishmael, and the blessed people of Allah. The problem is that Christians have mistakenly said, well, Allah and Jehovah are the same, so they have their way of seeing it and we have ours. Wrong. That 
is heresy. That is not just fallacy, that is heresy. Listen to me. We know that the descendants of Ishmael can share in the blessings of Abraham, but they, like anyone else, must place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Muhammad cannot save. Muhammad never even claimed to be able to save. In fact, the Quran says that Jesus is the Word of God. Now, though the, the Islamist or the Muslim mistakenly say Muhammad was the last and greatest prophet, this is not true from the Bible. There have been tensions between Muslims and Christians and Muslims and Jews for over 1,500 years since the birth of Islam, and it really begins here. Let me see if I can bring clarity. The descendants of Ishmael became known as Arabs. Not all, many. They were nomads. From the beginning, descendants of Ishmael were a warlike people. Don't get mad at me. This is what the Bible says. It says, they are a wild people. The hand shall be against every man, every man's hand against him, for Ishmael and his descendants. In fact, if you have a King James, it uses the Old Testament, it uses the old word for donkey. So like a wild donkey man, that's like what it says. And so if you unpack that, what it's saying is that there's going to be tension. But Christians, we are doing the world no favors by saying, well, they say Allah and we say Jehovah and let's just all love, peace, bacon, grease, sing kumbaya and get along. Let me tell you something plainly. Allah is not the same God as Jehovah. Allah is a singular that does not exist as a triune. And the last greatest prophet of Allah, according to the Quran, is Muhammad. This does not align with biblical truth, nor does it align with reality. Some of y'all getting a little bit squirmy. Chill out. We're okay. Listen to me. The Jehovah God of the Bible is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. Holy Spirit is God. Father is God. This is denied in the Quran. So what we have to do is love people enough to say no. We do not worship the same God. No, Ishmael is not the son of promise. In fact, Sarah, Hagar, Abram, particularly Sarah, Abram, got ahead of God. Ishmael is going to be father of a great nation. The Bible promises. If you carefully read 16, 17, the Bible promises your people will be great. They will be a warlike people, but they will be blessed. And if you look, particularly at the Arabian Peninsula today, there's tremendous wealth. There's tremendous power. Now, it seems to be quite centralized into smaller pockets. However, the point is that what we're reading in this text tells us why the world is the way it is. But don't buy the false narrative that everybody's calling out to the same God. They're just using different names. That is not true. It is heretical, it's blasphemous, and it will get you in trouble. Here's the reality. Just because you say a name doesn't mean you're saying the name like I'm saying the name. You meet a good Mormon, they will tell you that they believe in the same Jesus you do. Wrong. They do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They believe in a Jesus who was created by a male and female deity whose brother is Lucifer, and they believe that you one day could be like God if you'll follow their system. It is not the same. The Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus of the Bible, and the Jesus of the JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, is not the Jesus of the Bible. Just like if you look up Bobby Lewis on Wikipedia, you will find an African American rock and 
and roll, rhythm and blues singer who made famous the 1961 song, Tossing and Turning, right? You remember? Tossing and turning. That's Uncle Bobby. That's not me, okay? We're not related. Not in the family. I wish he was in the family. I'd love to have some of those royalties, but we're not. Because you can't just say Bobby Lewis. We, Cindy hollers for Bobby all the time. Not hollers, but, you know, calls out, hey, Bobby, I need help with it. Bobby, dude. And half the time it's me, half the time it's our son. We just have to get clarity. Who you want? Because there are a couple of Bobby Lewises in our house. And here's the deal. Do not buy the false narrative that all gods are the same and that this is where the dividing thing happened, but ultimately they point back to the same God. They do not. Muhammad did not receive a revelation about the God of the Bible. The God of the Quran is a totally different God. So, let's be clear. What's happening here? What's going on? Well, Sarah has this maidservant. Again, probably picked up when they were in Egypt. She realizes that she's not having a child. They've waited and waited 10 years. God's promise is not fulfilled. She gets sort of antsy and says, hey, there's a tradition of our day. I can take one of my servants, make her either a concubine or a little higher status, a wife. And what we can do then is we can, she births her on the lap. So in other words, Hagar literally has the child and births her to me. So that is like my child. The problem is, as soon as Hagar realizes she's with child, guess what? She becomes angry. She hates Sarah. Oh, you just used me. So you didn't really, you don't really care about me. Well, Sarah goes to Abram, right? And Sarah's response is no more noble. She says, Abram, what are you going to do about this? And Abram's the guy here between wife number one and wife number two. Fellas, that's a terrible, tragic mistake. Don't do it. The Bible never says polygamy is a good thing. One man, one woman, four life. That's God's way. We even have the McElroys down here. If you need to ask, they'll tell you. Forever families, one way. You get your between two feuding women. You know what Abraham did? He said, Sarah, you do what's best to you. He didn't want anything to do with it. So what does Sarah do? Cat fight. She gets mad at Hagar and Hagar's like, they're going to kill me. I have got to get out of here. All this is in the Bible. This is the Lewis revised version. But if you'll look at it, she says they're going out. And so she's going to go out in the wilderness and the angel of the Lord meets her and says, look, I see what's going on here, and I'm going to give you, I've heard you, I've heard you, Ishmael. Anytime you see an E-L, about 99% of the time in a Hebrew name, that's for God. El, Elohim, Ishmael, like Israel. So contends with or wrestles with God. Ishmael would be God hears. Ishmael, to hear, God hears, okay? So the Lord has heard your affliction. And when, when, when Sarah does eventually have Isaac, as we'll see in the coming weeks, there's no room for Ishmael. He's cast out. That's over in chapter 21. And eventually, now check this out, how God's parallelism works. Ishmael does have uh, 12 sons, and they do become a very strong and warring people. But the descendants really have been enemies to Jews and for some enemies to Christians even now. And what Paul does with this information is fascinating. If you'll read Genesis, uh, Galatians 4 carefully, what Paul does with this is he pictures Sarah as a picture of the new covenant in Christ and the freedom we have because Sarah was a free woman. But he pictures Hagar, the slave, as the Old Testament, 
the old law. And he's basically equating saying, if you just try to live by the law, do this, don't do that. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. If you live that way, you're going to be like Hagar. You're going to be enslaved. You're never going to experience true freedom. But if you're more like Sarah, although Sarah's the one that made the mistake here and pushed ahead and then Abram listened to her because Genesis 3 said one of the parts of the curse would be the wife attempting to rule over her husband. That's what she did here. And Abram listened and he shouldn't have listened. But you have this unfolding of this major swath of history that matters today. And so what, what, what Paul does is he says that Ishmael's like following the law. And the law will ultimately enslave you. It will make you constantly war with yourself. But the Bible says he's going to be wild. And he's going to be a progenitor of a hostile desert people. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you, therefore, that every descendant of Ishmael ever is wild and a warrior. But there's a propensity, a tendency that has unfolded here. So think about what's happening. God provided for this pregnant woman thrust into the desert. God promised that she would be the matriarch of this large group. But Abram and Sarah's sin caused the origin of the Ishmaelites. A harvest is being reaped today. You say, what do you mean? Well, think about it like this. Abram and Sarah get ahead of God. And years later, their great-grandson would be enslaved to the Ishmaelites. That's Joseph. You remember when his brother sold him into slavery? Genesis 37, 28. Who comes along to get him out of the pit? When Reuben and others say, don't kill him, we don't want his blood on our hands. They sell him to the very people in the line of their uncle's uncle's uncle. They sell him to the very people in that line off of their great-grandfather. His hand will be against every man. Now be careful. Be very careful. Do not paint with too broad a brush about Arabs or about Muslims. Are there some that would be violent and that do look at the jihad principles of the Quran and say that we need to kill the infidel and if you don't believe in Islam? Yeah, there are some. Absolutely. Do not think that the Quran in and of itself is a peaceful volume. It is not. And do not try to redefine jihad as some kind of spiritual struggle. That is not the way the Quran teaches it. That being said, do not think that every Muslim you meet, I've ministered to Muslims over 20 years, and I have some very fine Muslim friends. Do not think that every Muslim is out to kill the infidel. That is not true. That is not accurate. It is like saying all people that name Christ are the same. That is not true. It's like saying all pastors are the same. I'm watching this expose, this doc series on Hillsong, The Secrets of Hillsong. Don't clump me with everybody else. It's not fair. You need to to look at a person, an individual, and not paint with too broad a brush. But what I'm trying to show us is that history bears out there will be tensions between this people group and other people groups, and that has borne to be true all these many generations later. In fact, I was on a mission trip. It was spring of uh, 2002. To put this in context, you know what happened September of 2001. I had a mission trip scheduled to Berlin, Germany, to go with some seminarians to minister to Muslim refugees that had left the Middle East and come up into areas like uh, Germany, And we were ministering to Muslim refugees in a very high-tension time. And a lot of really great conversation. We were trying to get them to read the Injil, which would be the New Testament, Arabic. So it says, this is who Jesus, Isa, is. 
This is who he really is. He really is God's greatest prophet, but he's also priest and king and savior and Messiah. And so we're trying to do that. And I happened to strike up a conversation with a much older gentleman on a park bench. He had broken English. I had broken German. We had an interesting conversation. And he wanted me to know after 9-11, he didn't say anything about sorry or this or that for my people. He was not a radical Muslim by any stretch of the imagination. But he said, I do not hate your people. I don't hate Americans. I don't hate Christians. Although he did equate the two. And I found many people around the world that equate Americans and Christians. Really gets under my skin. Because I don't want them to think everything that comes out of Hollywood reflects my Christian value. Very little that comes out of Hollywood reflects my Christian value. But this guy said, I don't hate you and I don't hate you. But this is what he said. But I hate your president. I despise George W. Bush. And I said, well, explain that to me. And I didn't want to dig too deep into the political sphere for fear of losing the gospel witness. But I did let him explain. And in his thinking, Bush, because of the war efforts that were beginning to happen, hated all Muslims. And what really was cool about the conversation is I was able to say, look, it is not that our government hates all Muslim peoples. But you have to understand with our limited knowledge and understanding how we see these events play out and being done in the name of jihad and Allah. And I said, so it's not that he hates, I didn't convince him of that, but I did convince him that he needed to look into the claims of Christ more. That he realized not all Christians hated all Muslims, nor did all Muslims hate all Christians. And that he needed to read and study and he promised me he would do that because he knew that I had spent many years studying his faith and reading the Quran and trying to unpack what are the similarities and differences here and which one accords with reality. Because that's really all I care about. I'll be honest with y'all. As a dad, as a grandfather, as a husband, as a pastor, all I care about is what is truth that accords with reality. I don't want to lead anybody down a path of falsehood. So it turned out to be a great experience. But that being said, we've got to be careful. This is not everything's peaceful and perfect. It's not that, nor will it be that until the end of the age. It is not everything's violent and hateful. Both are extremes that should be avoided. But do not, do not think that Muslims and Christians are both speaking truth coming off the same trajectory. It is simply not accurate. Warren Wiersbe said, don't miss the practical lessons here. Whenever we run ahead of God, there's trouble. The flesh loves to help God. But true faith is shown in patience, and we can't mix faith and flesh. And so he said the lesson was clear for Sarah and Abram, Hagar, Israel, for Christians, Israel later, he's going to say down the road. God's servants are to trust his word and wait for its fulfillment. Wait and endure patiently. Some of y'all have been begging God for something. You are thinking, I've got a great plan B if God doesn't come through. Please let me encourage you. Don't take your plan B. Wait on the Lord. If the plan seems to be from God and you have confirmation from the word and other strong believers that it may be from God, certainly consider walking through that door. But Sarah never consulted the Lord. Sarah got ahead as did Abram. It becomes exceedingly clear here that any person or nation that owes its existence to divine election should live by faith. Ishmael was divinely chosen by God, not Allah, Jehovah God of the Bible. Isaac would be chosen by God, 
And God still sees and hears. The butterfly effect. i got to begin to pull the train in. I'm going to give you just a smidgen of point two. Have you all heard of the butterfly effect? Everybody heard of it a little bit? Just the concept that a butterfly flaps its wings on the other side of the world creates a turbulence that linearly uh, starts to create greater turbulence and creates a tsunami over here. Well, we know that's not actually how it works, but there are all kinds of butterfly effects. One tiny thing that impacts for a very, very long time. Friends of ours visiting New York City city, touring, having a great week. One afternoon, she sprains her ankle. Unfortunately, they were supposed to go up to the observation deck of the World Trade Center Towers the very next morning, but that quelled those plans, and they were going to have to wait, get her feeling better, and then possibly go that afternoon. The thing is, by that afternoon, the towers were not there. They were there September the 10th, twenty. Uh, 2001. And so, and, and as they shared that story with our church family, I'll never forget how I thought, wow, something that seemed like such a bummer. Man, I'm in New York City and I twist my ankle. God used probably to spare their lives, but they had no idea. Some of you right now, you're walking on a sprained ankle and you don't know why God's done it but, or allowed it, but the reality is God always knows best. Always trust, walk slowly by faith. Think about it. Your actions today can have long-term consequences because world history has been impacted radically by these events. Last thing I want to say, just get it in your notes and we'll unpack it next week. God gives new names as a sign of his faithfulness to his covenant. I want to talk about that for a while next week. Think about it. Abram, exalted father, becomes Abraham, father of a multitude. At 99, and then has a kid at 100. That just makes me tired. Sarah's name is changed. I'll unpack that for you and talk about why. Names matter in the Bible, folks. Moses, drawn from water. Yeshua or Jesus, the Lord saves. Ishmael, the Lord hears. Um, uh, even Isaac, uh, to laugh, laughter. We'll talk about that next week. We've had some biblical names for our animals over the years. We named one of our dogs Jake or Jacob one time because he liked to bite at the heel. So we one grasping at the heel, Jake. We had a red-haired dog. He was a poodle, not a doodle. They weren't out yet. But he was a real toy poodle, and he was red-headed since we had red-headed girls. And we called him Rufus. Rufus, the doofus. Rufus uh, comes from Rufus and Alexander in the New Testament. They are the sons of Simon the Cyrenian who helped Jesus who carried the cross. And so he's red. Rufus means red. Um, we don't have any pets right now, but Bobby did go back after Christmas and got him a hamster. His old one had died, and we had a service over the trash bag. Ah, and we buried it, and it was gone. Okay, you Catholics like that. So here's the thing. We did the thing. He went and he said, I want this hamster. It was a panda thing. It was black and, black and white. And so I said, well, come up with a cool name that reflects your hamster. And so he came up with a cool name for you fans of Forrest Gump. The hamster's name is Bubba Gump. So black and white. That was pretty good. I thought my, my boy's smart. So anyway, names matter. And this is a real sticking point for me. I don't think most Christians understand or live by our new name written in glory. I think... We tend to mope around, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, not according to the Bible. And we're going to unpack that and a lot about that. And then we're going to transition into circumcision and the covenant. Why do we do things the way we do them? Why do we not mandate circumcision anymore? Outside of particularly health reasons, we don't do that so much as a religious right anymore. Why? Why is it different? Why do we wait until these kids say, I trust Jesus? 
I profess faith. Why do we wait for adults? I, I have put my faith in Christ. And if you were dunked before you understood, you were not baptized. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why the significant differences. They all emerge from this text. Stand with me. And we'll continue to unpack this. Uh, here's your sign. <clears throat> I want you to do something for me today. If you want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for those who have um, given their life, um, I'd ask you to do that. I would ask you to, to pray and seek God's face. I always make my uh, security guys and my wife nervous when I talk about subjects like this. Um, here's the reality. Truth is truth. And if you don't like it or if it makes you uncomfortable, this is the world in which we live. So few people are willing to stand up and say, this is the way it is. I do not have any animosity nor hatred to those who practice Islam, but I am not going to ever stand up and say that they are worshiping the one true and living God and that their God is equally valid to our God. That is a lie. I will say that Jesus Christ died for all man, including the Ishmaelite, the Arab, including you, including me, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's what I'll say. And if you take that as unloving or unkind, then you don't really have a problem with me. You have a problem with this book. That is, God breathed every word of it. And so I simply want to say that. And to those of you that want to write me, I would remind you that I promise to read and respond if you promise to sign. If you're going to be a wimp, don't send me anything anonymously. You've wasted your time, and I can quickly go, boop, delete, which is exactly what I'll do. Just throwing that out there because I know some of you are itching to get on your computers right now. Let's go to the Lord. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.